If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Mark, chapter 2. We're going to read a story. It's 12 verses. And I'll just tell you kind of how I'm approaching the teaching today. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to read this story, the 12 verses, and then I'm not going to have sermon points necessarily this morning. Uh, we're going to actually just kind of go through and do a line-by-line breakdown and teaching of the passages. This is something called an expository teaching where you just basically go line by line and you, you break down the passages, each one, and then you look at the overall greater, like what the word is speaking in the full passage as well as you break all of them down. Normally, I'll approach the style I, I teach a lot is with topical teaching where it's kind of a, a big you know, idea or sort of theological point, and then you support that through many texts in scripture. But today, we're mainly gonna camp in these 12 verses. So uh, Mark chapter two, Verse one, and again, he, he's Jesus, okay, and it says he a few times, so anytime he is capitalized or my, you know it's talking about God, right? And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them, and then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. Other passages say they dug through or broke through. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Hallelujah. Father, we just uh, come to you today and ask you, God, to speak to us. All of us, Lord, alike, we need to hear from you. Daily bread we need, and we're asking you for that today in great measure, God. And I ask that you would speak through me, because I can't do that. I need you, Holy Spirit, to just use me. I'm just an empty vessel, just a piece of clay, God, in your hands. I pray you do something with it today that would help us to have changed lives, because your word always does that. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So... Let's just, first of all, let's start with the context, because when you go through Scripture, a good part of breaking and interpreting Scripture is you first look at the context, the backdrop, the setting, and then you they move to the characters, like who's in the story. Um, that, that's always an initial part of uh, interpretation. So the context, let's say, is in the first verse, maybe the first two verses. It says that Jesus comes to Capernaum and comes to a house, all right? So Capernaum is a, was a little town 
that is on the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you've been to Israel, uh, you, we've been there and you could see like this, the Sea of Galilee, it's like a big lake, it's circular, and it's, it's pretty large. Um, but there are these towns that are all around the sea. And Jesus would make like the ministry circuit. He would travel all around these towns and he would stop and stay a while and then move on to the next one. And it would take a number of days to, to do this because it was miles from town to town. This particular one is Capernaum, which is actually, we know, where Peter was from. It was a fishing port, was right on the sea. And most likely, uh, in fact, most scholars agree that the house we're looking at here was probably Peter's house because they were gathering there. And normally Jesus uh, would stay with Peter. That was is kind of the home base of operations. Now, Jesus did most of his ministry in this area. In Israel, you have the majority of Jesus's miracles, his teachings, things like that that happen. We see a miracle here that we just read about today uh, happen in the Galilee region. There were times where Jesus would make his way down to Jerusalem and then kind of come back up, we know, but I forget how many, I think it's close to 70% of the miracles Jesus did were actually in this particular region. All right, so that's the sort of context. There's some characters we're going to look at in the story as well. One is the paralytic man. This is the guy that we kind of zero in on in the beginning of the story as it opens up. We're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about the four friends. God loved the friends. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the scribes. There's this mention of the crowd. That's, that's actually really important. Uh, and then we're definitely going to talk about the main character of the story, Jesus. He's always the main character, right? We've got to understand everybody else is a supporting cast. Jesus is always the main character. I don't care where you're at in Scripture. This is good, like, how to study the Bible approach. Always look for Jesus in the Scriptures. Even if you're reading about Abraham and Isaac and the son and God brought a lamb, like, there's a picture and a foreshadow of Jesus there. All of Scripture is designed to reveal the son. So when we look for Jesus in the story, it always illuminates what God's trying to say in a much more significant way. So that's a little bit of the context there. Now let's get into the, the verses, and before we do, let me give you the title of the message and sort of the heart of where I want to go with this today. Um, if you're like me, we all have friends, family members, uh, people around us that we love and that we care about, right? And would you agree with me that it just seems like we live in a world today where the challenges, the problems, the difficulties that people are facing are, are just really complex. I mean, there's just a lot going on, isn't there? You got a global pandemic, you got uh, issues in schools. You got, I mean, there's just, it's, it's kind of like never ending. And if you're like me, um, you know, I, I think to myself, I want to solve everybody's problems. I want to help them. I want to know how to fix it. Did anybody else like feel that way? Um, how many of you know it doesn't take very long before you figure out I'm terrible at that? <laughs> I want to, there's a desire to, but the reality is, is I got problems of my own and I'm not real great at fixing other people's problems. Sure, I can have some good advice from time to time and I'd like to think there are things in my life that are good examples that, that people could follow from. Certainly mistakes I've learned from that I could share 
Here's what I've learned, though. Really, really at the end of the day, the best thing that I can do, the most sustaining thing that I can do for anyone that I care about to really help them long-term and to help them work through their stuff is to lead them to Jesus. That's really what it's about. And these four friends are going to teach us something today. So the message title is Friends Lead Friends to Jesus. Friends Lead Friends to Jesus. So let's look at verse uh, 2 again. It says, immediately many gathered together, and there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, as Jesus preached the word to them. I love this picture, and I long for, really, a display of this in churches all over our land. Jesus is there, and what's he doing? This is actually really important, because this is the main priority, actually, He's preaching the word. Let me just read back in uh, chapter 1, verse 38, right before this story. Jesus says, let us go into the next town that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come. So we see that Jesus does a lot of healings, a lot of miracles, a lot of things, right? But he's very clear. Like the reason I came is to preach the message of salvation. The reason I came is is to heal people spiritually. That's the, that's the priority. So he's preaching the word. He's sharing the good news. And what's happening? It's standing room only in the house. Nobody can get in. And they try to get there, but the door, they can't even get through the door. And I, I love the picture of that. The word is being preached, and there's such a response to the word that people are coming from every direction, and they can't even get in the house to get a seat. It's standing room only, but they could still hear from wherever they're at this word being preached, and it's still powerful to change their life and their situation if they have ears to hear it. So it's a, it's a standing room only crowd. Let's move on to verse three. So they came to him and they brought a paralytic who was carried by four men. Okay. So picture this in your mind's eye. This is what's going on. There is a guy who is paralyzed. Now, paralysis means he can't move, he is physically handicapped, um, you could say it like this, he is unable to get himself to where he wants to go. Does that make sense? Now, this is a picture. Many times, physical conditions are a picture of something in the spiritual to us. And while Jesus is never hard to get to, and we can't earn our way to Jesus, so that we know that, that's clear, right? There are many times I've found in people's lives where they have kind of a, a spiritual or an emotional kind of paralysis that is actually keeping them from being able to get themselves to Jesus. Not because Jesus is hard to get to or he's trying to avoid them, but because People sometimes have things that enter into their life and then baggage and all kinds of mess begins to form. And this brokenness that's a part of the world that attaches to people becomes like a paralysis or a limitation to them being able to get themselves to the master. Does that make sense? I mean, what are some of those things? There's bitterness, there's greed, there's envy, there's jealousy, there's grudge, there's offense. There's all these kinds of things 
that can be picked up by any of us along the way. And then we can unknowingly, if we have those, have these roadblocks, these sort of barriers in between us, our heart, and surrendering and giving in to Jesus. It could be something like, well, God's let me down. You know, I don't know. There's all these, maybe these hurts and these wounds. And so what I'm getting at is Jesus is always willing and ready. But sometimes people are in situations where they're dealing with stuff and they need some friends around them to recognize we need to step up and we need to help and we need to, the best thing we can do is try to help this person, lead this person to Jesus where actually they can find everything that they need. And it says that they, and this is the other part I love, we, we sometimes think we gotta clean ourselves up, you know, and work out our junk. Let me just work on some things first and, you know, then I'll, then I'll maybe start uh, giving the Jesus thing a try. They bring this guy in totally broken, paralyzed and everything. This is how we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus as broken and as messed up as whatever state we are in. And thank God for that. The more broken, the, the more powerful the meeting and the encounter can actually be. And then the four friends. Oh, I love the four friends. These guys, they teach me a lot. Because they carried their friend in on his bed. The bed, I did a lot of research on this. And I found that it was absolutely a Serta Sealy posturepedic mattress, actually. <laughs> Not really. Somebody's writing that down. Wow, that's really. I wonder what that is in the Greek. Uh, but these friends, here's what I think to myself. And I, I you know, you, you probe into the, this, this story, right? You think about the setting and everything. None of these journeys were short journeys. Like, had to be a day minimum out of these guys' lives to, to, sacrifice in their calendar and what they had going on to say, you know what, today this is about one thing. We are going to get our friend to Jesus. We're going to get our friend to the master. And they laid down all of their agenda, all of their calendar, and they're not, you know, seemingly at all disturbed by sacrificing out of their own lives to make this thing happen. And I, I think to myself, you know, sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes we can get in this uh, rhythm, this routine, where we're doing the church thing, you know, going to church and doing the thing and the Bible study and, and not making light of this stuff. I'm just saying we could get in these church rhythms, uh, but then somehow totally miss what the orientation of our lives is really supposed to be, which is to be leading people to Jesus. You know what I mean? Like we could go through a lot of the church rhythms and then leading people who are hurting to Jesus isn't even on our radar. It can happen. And these guys are like, ah, putting everything aside and we're gonna get him there. And then they show up and I love it, they can't get in. The, the house is full, the crowd is full, there's no way through the door. They can't get in there. And you know what they don't say? Well, we tried. <laughs> we gave it our best. If I get back, I can still make it in time for the seven o'clock showing, you know. They don't give up. They're relentless. They're like, no, we're going to find another way. And I think the reason that they're doing that is because they understand Jesus might not be here tomorrow. 
Now, we know Jesus now because the Holy Spirit rests over, has been poured out over us. Like there's this, always this invitation, but you understand this is deity in the flesh. This is God, the Son, and he's, he's also human. And so he is limited logistically. He's there today. He might not be there tomorrow. They don't know that. They're not taking any chances. We got to strike right now while the iron's hot. Jesus is here. The time is now. We got to do whatever we got to do. I'll kind of flip this a little bit for us. Like, we don't know that people will be here tomorrow. Are you with me? We have no, we have no idea. We have no idea if they could slip more into a state of greater brokenness tomorrow. Like, our moment really is now. And they're like, no, this is it. We got we to gotta get them to Jesus, you know? And so they get up on the roof, and they, they dig through the roof to lower the friend down. Now, oh, let's just, let's appreciate this for a minute. Because the houses there, the way they were constructed, they were flat roof houses. Usually because in the day, they would use the tops of the houses for things like uh, maybe it was sunbathing or drying clothes. And in the evenings on hot nights, hot days, they'd go up, they'd cool off. The, the roofs were, were used for things. So there were steps that would go up the sides of the houses to get to the roof. No elevators in that day. And think about this. Four guys had to carry him up the steps on the bed. So there's a guy on each corner. I, I can't imagine that that was easy to do. <sighs> they get him all the way up to the top of the roof, and the work has just begun. They set him down on the roof, and it says they proceed to dig through. I also want to make sure you understand the other part of that translation, or to break through. Okay? To break through. Here's how the roofs were constructed. They had beams. Uh, that were the support mechanisms, and then they had cross members that were woven together of stronger poles, and then they had a lot of, like, uh, I guess, grass and stuff, and then this is called thatch, which was like a clay material that they would mix up and they would put on it, and it would seal the whole roof. It was thick. It was really thick. But they didn't just poke their finger through and make a hole. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They got up on there, and I'm sure they didn't bring their shovels because they didn't expect to get in this way, and they started digging by hand. They're getting dirty. But get your friend to Jesus. I don't know whatever I got to do. They're breaking through this thing. They're dismembering the roof. And it can't just be a little hole. The whole guy in the bed has to get through. I mean, they probably took most of the roof off. Now, if you're in the crowd, seriously, can you just imagine you look up, Whoa! That's something you don't see every day. Dude coming down on a bed. Four people up there, big hole in the roof. They're doing everything they can to get their friend to Jesus. And it works. Not because they have any power to do anything transformational. You understand that? They had a lot to do with the outcome, though. A lot because they did everything they could to get the, him to Jesus. But once that time comes, let's, let's continue on. Let's go, to, uh, let's go to verse five. And Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you, which also means child. 
he claims them. Why does he claim them as his own? Well, it says there, he sees their faith, which means that the, the friends had faith, this guy had faith. You know, only Jesus peers into the human heart, right? But he sees the faith, and the faith is what will, will allow us to be saved. This allows us to be set free. Jesus says that. Now, this is where the story takes a very unexpected twist. Very unexpected, if you're there. Because Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Right? Now, I'm sure if you're there, everybody in the scene can probably put two and two together by the time the guy is most of the way down through the roof. The guy's trying to get healed. Jesus has already done miracles. We know that, okay? You read Mark 1, you see a lot of that. Uh, he's already done miracles. So most of the people are probably putting two to two together. By now, the guy wants to get healed. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. Unexpected twist. Now, let's talk about a few things that happens. First of all, this creates a major disruption with a group of people in the story called scribes. There's a whole crowd, which, by the way, crowd, a lot of people, it's a mass of people, but here's almost always what crowd is. It's a mixture or a combination of people. Believers, hungry, genuinely want to hear the word of truth, skeptics, critics, people who already accuse this of not being what it truly is, right? Let me just make a point there. Getting our friends to Jesus, getting to Jesus, uh, there will always be crowds, in a sense. There will always be the naysayers, the critics, trying to obstruct the flow of what's really happening, of what Jesus is really doing. Uh, criticism comes with the territory. You just have to kind of get over that, right? So, so there's the crowds, but in the crowd, there's the scribes. And the scribes are, they're the ones that are really critical of Jesus. He's doing all these miracles, and yet they're still finding all these ways to accuse him of wrongdoing. Kind of blows my mind, you know? But let's, let's think about that. If you look at what the scribes do, it says that they think in their heart. So they didn't even actually say out loud. They think in their heart, this guy is, this guy is blaspheming. He says, sons, are, your sins are forgiven of you. Now, the interesting thing is, their accusation, if it wouldn't be for one very important point, <laughs> their accusation would actually be true. He's blaspheming. Here's what the important point is. If he's not really God, <laughs> then he's blaspheming. Because only God possesses the power to forgive sin. Now, they'd seen healings. They'd seen miracles. But this idea of forgiving sin, so far as the Jewish culture is concerned, before Jesus flips the world upside down in the new covenant, they, they, no, Jesus, like anybody that says that is blasphemy. So if they, if he wasn't the son of God, they would actually be right. But the problem is he is the son of God. And he is going through this process now where he's getting ready to reveal himself. Listen to me, very important. He's getting ready to reveal himself as someone more than teacher, as someone more than healer. He's getting ready to reveal himself, as the scripture says, as the son of man or the Messiah. He's getting ready to say the son of man has power to, to forgive sin on earth. 
Put it another way, not only does he have power to heal physically, he has authority and power to heal spiritually, which is the greater sickness. This is, this is kind of the real point I think Jesus packages up for us in this message to see. But let me say one more thing about the scribes before we move on, because this is they reason in their heart, and you, you catch what Jesus did? He's like, why did you think that in your heart? Whoa, hold on. That's got to be weird. Guy just read my mind. Now, come on. Be honest. Don't you sometimes wish <laughs> that you could do that? Like, sometimes whenever Katie's just kind of just being quiet, you know, and I'm like, hey, babe, what's wrong? Nothing. And I know it's not nothing. I think it'd be so cool to be like, why did you just think that in your heart? Oh! Anyway, I'm a mess. I told you. I'm sorry. Okay. So listen, let's jump down. Okay, let's move down to verse nine now. After he says, why did you reason these things in your heart? Oh, I know what I was going to I'm sorry. I know what I was going to say about the scribes. Um, clearly, from their attitude in scripture, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious elite, the taught, you know, the intellectual of the day, that's, that's who they are. Um, they're jealous of Jesus. They see people's affection and people's trust now being redirected to him. And they've been used to being the source of that, the object of that. There's probably a real unhealthy validation and sense of fulfillment going on because of that. So here's what can happen if we're not careful. I just think it's an important point in the scripture to make is if we're not careful um, and we don't keep in mind that it's really all about getting people to Jesus, you know, we could, people can develop savior syndrome. I gotta be the savior, man. Like, I'm, I gotta be the one that fixes all the problems. I gotta be the one, man. And, and I've never really seen this to be a malicious, like, it's, it's not blatant, you know, but it's still, there's an undercurrent there that's very unhealthy where it's like, People feel like they're the ones holding everything up, and they want to be that for everybody. And I'm just telling you, if you get yourself in that place, it'll crush you. You cannot carry that. And really inadvertently, what we do when we kind of accept that role as the, the Savior, you know, is that we, we kind of take people's eyes off of Jesus a little bit. If you think about it, like my, my mode, my role, my posture is like, uh, I'll give you what I can. I got to help. But like, man, Jesus is the answer you and him and your relationship with the master, the, like the relationship I have, like I don't know what I'd do without it and, and there's no way I could live without it. Like that's, the, that's what you need to see, you know? Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I'm really not good at the physical stuff. I, I'm, I'm actually not even a great counselor, so the emotional stuff and all that, like I give you what I got, but really it's not that great. Uh, but I can introduce you to the most beautiful, wonderful guy. He is a healer. He is a counselor. He's a comforter. He's everything you'll ever need. And if you know him and walk with him, you'll have everything you need for your whole life. Oh, he says, he said, Jesus says, what's easier to do? To say, get up and walk or to say your sins are forgiven you? Now, let me ask you that question. Think about it for just a second. What is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk to the paralytic?
Intentional moment of suspense created. Okay. It's kind of a trick question, actually. Because from the sense of the power it takes to do it, obviously, to forgive sin is far greater. Because only Jesus can do that, right? We know that. But he's saying it in a, in a different kind of way. He knows what they're thinking is, obviously, it's harder to heal this guy. Because you could say his sins are forgiven, and nobody can prove that. Nobody can really prove that. And so Jesus says, just so you know, just so you know, that I have the authority to forgive sin, get up, pick up your bed, walk, go home. Healed. Here's what that tells me. Jesus is saying, spiritual sickness that people in this world are dying from is much more significant. And if we can get the antidote to the spiritual sickness that plagues humanity, ails our heart, this is what's amazing. Jesus says, I came that you'd have life abundantly. He says, I, I want you to be whole. Body, sure. Ah, heal that body. But I also want to heal your mind. Your emotions, I want you to be in peace, constant state of peace. Isn't that beautiful? People are not living like that today. I want you to know peace every day. And I want you to be healed spiritually of the infirmity of sin. Because when the sin sickness is removed, it's amazing. But it's like now the power begins to flow into our lives for all the other kinds of healing and wholeness that Jesus intends for us to have. He could just heal the guy from the paralysis, and he'd be pretty happy about that. But something more important happened. He talked about sins getting forgiven. Then he said, go back to your home. As if to mean this. Now, go back to the place you're from, and it's going to be the same place, but it's not going to be the same. Because now, where you were at before, you were on your back. You were limited in your paralysis. You were bound up from being able to fulfill a purpose and a destiny. And now I'm sending you back to the same place, but it's not the same place because you're a new man. And everything is actually going to look different now because this sin condition has been removed from you and you've been healed and restored and you're whole. But I want you to go back to your home, your house, your community, and I want you to now go live with purpose and destiny that this full healing that I've just brought you has now enabled you and empowered you to be able to do. Jesus says, now do something with that. Go live with purpose and passion and destiny, right? But there's this really hard, like, theological debate going on in this story that I want to unpack for you as we wrap this up. This sin that was forgiven, and then the physical healing happens, right? So, in the Old Testament, in the culture there, almost in every situation, physical 
illness and infirmity was directly linked to sin. Sins committed in the life of the person. Now, this part, I'll just tell you, this is really not popular. <laughs> this is like, Pastor, you probably want to stay away from this. But you know me. I don't like to do that. So I want to show you something, okay? Many times, not every time, many times, and it's no different today. The infirmities, paralysis, emotional baggage, all that stuff, depression, anxiety, many times, is a result of sinful lifestyle. Now, it's not always, and I want to show you two scriptures. The only other two scriptures I'm bringing in besides these Mark verses, John 9, 3. This was the guy that was born blind from birth, and they asked him, who sinned, mother or his father, right? That was, they're always there, that's always where they went with it. All right, who sinned, what'd he do? By the way, he's not just saying like, one sin and then you repented and you're clean to, like he's, normally when you say sin, uh, leads to destruction, which it says that all throughout the Bible, right? Destruction of the flesh, destruction of the mind, eventually destruction of the soul if sin continues on. It's repeated sin, consistent living in sin, unwilling to repent, unwilling to turn away. That, that's what ultimately keeps leading to the destruction. So in John 9, 3, Jesus said this. He answered, uh, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So in this case, Nobody said. That's not what happened here. He said, in God's sovereignty, and I, you know, I don't always understand this stuff either, but in God's sovereignty, he says, no, this guy's going through something that really is going to be used for the, the glory of God to be revealed in his life, this blind man. So nobody said here. But listen to this. John 5, 14, let's contrast this. This is the man at the pool of Bethesda who, interestingly enough, comes in on a bed, <laughs> carried in on a bed, and Jesus said, arise, take up your bed, and walk. Very interesting. Same things that were said, right? By the way, in Mark 2, it's not really clear if this guy sinned or didn't sin. It's, I don't think you can really see one way or another. You just have to know there were times where that happened and times where it didn't. John 5, 14, he's, Jesus says this about the man at the pool of Bethesda. Later, he sees him in the temple. And Jesus found him in the temple, said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So you see that when people live in a lifestyle of sin, it leads to sickness, infirmity, paralysis of many different kinds. And it's not really all that hard to understand. We know, like you could say, well, people are caught up in alcoholism and that destroys their body. It destroys their family. It, you know, they could die in an accident. Like we know that. That's pretty obvious, right? I remember one time a guy... Uh, who was just, you know, heartbroken. He just was a mess. And he got saved, born again, and he just got lit on fire for Jesus. And it was like, old man, new man. I mean, there was just like this pendulum that flipped, you know? And this guy was undeniably changed and different. He's smiling. He never smiled before. Uh, he's just full of life and joy. But he also, like before, he, he, he kind of walked around with like this mope, you know, with like his head and his always down and he was just a shame. I think he was carrying shame and probably all kinds of stuff. 
and it's physically affecting the man. I didn't think a lot about it before. And then he gets saved, and he's standing up straight. He's smiling. He says one day, like months later, he's like, you know, it's the craziest thing. Since I got saved, before that, I used to have back pain all the time. Back hurt all the time. And since I got saved, I don't have any back pain anymore. And I thought, it's his posture. Whatever was on him is off of him now. Whatever was bending him down and, and, pre- and hanging on the shame and the guilt, whatever it was, I don't know all the stuff he was dealing with, I broke off of him and the guy stood up and he, he's alive. And, and all this other stuff, these physical infirmities that were hitting him are gone now. You see what I'm saying? What I'm trying to say is like, we could have went along and played for this guy for his back pain if we would have knew it. Maybe he would have got healed. But man, the greater thing happened. This guy met the master and the master said, your sins are forgiven you. You're free. You're alive. And all of a sudden, spiritual healing and cleansing begins to fill his life and fill his soul. And now the emotional and the physical parts of his life begin to be lived out in wholeness and health and with power and with authority. I say again, Jesus says, I came to have life and life abundantly. I want you to be whole. Enough with this brokenness. Enough with this mess of all the things bagging people down. I want you to stand up. I want you to rise. I want you to shine. And I want you to live for me. And I want you to lead people to me. Because this is the place at the master's feet where they're going to find what they need. And I don't know about you, but I love that answer. I love that solution because I'm a broken guy. I got my own problems. I don't have the answers and solutions. But if Jesus says, get them to me, let me help them, I know I can do that. And if that's not the orientation of my life, folks, what am I doing? What are we doing? They're not trying to get them a new bed. They're not saying, get them a new bed, get them a better mattress. Let's make him a little more comfortable in his paralysis. No, that is not acceptable. We're going to get this guy to Jesus, man. That's got to be our answer. That's got to be our solution. And Jesus says, arise, this is verse 11, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Oh, oh, I love this. We already talked about going to the house. He's you know, now he's going to live his life. It's the, it's the place he was. It's the life he's in, but it's different now, right? But he says, take up your bed. Oh, get this. The guy came in on the bed, being carried on the bed. The thing that kept him on his back, he couldn't seem to break out of, couldn't seem to figure out how. A couple of friends who loved the guy decided to carry him in. Jesus shows up. Jesus meets them. He has an encounter with the master. Don't need your friends to carry the bed on him anymore because he rolls the thing up, puts it under his arm, and he's got authority over the thing that he came in on. No more. This bed, I'm carrying this thing. I'm coming out with authority now. He says, rise, which means wake up. 
Open your eyes and see with the new day. Jesus is the bright and morning star. He's the daybreaker. When it seems like it's dark, I'm telling you, there's light that's coming. When we see who our healer is, when we see who our counselor is, when we meet the master and understand he's not just offering you an opportunity to be healed of a physical infirmity, he's offering you an opportunity to be whole, to fix your brokenness, to restore every part of your being, to make you into a person who can be used for his glory and to lead other people to him. And so I close with this. Church, the orientation of our lives, in some ways this message, it's like so back to basics, you know? It's like just go back to basics. I gotta tell you, I mean, we spend a lot of time Okay, you know, what do we got going on this month and what do we got going on next month and all this stuff and it's and we do and it's important. I'm just, but somewhere along the line, <laughs> man, if our orientation gets off and we forget as believers, as members of the body of Christ, that everything we do is really about leading people to Jesus. That's that if that kind of spiritual lethargy slips into the church, to the body of Christ, where we're busy and we're living our lives and we're doing all these things, but somehow we never get people to Jesus. What's going on? It really is that simple and yet profound. We get people to the master. And there's so many ways to do that. Look, I am not implying that means that you got to invite somebody to church. Now, that can be that. But it's a lot more than that. You understand? Make sense? I mean, that, that's not what I'm saying. It's, we're not boxing it up into one little thing. We're just saying, like, God's giving me, giving me a testimony. He's given you a testimony. If he's, if he's rescued your heart, you know you're healed. You know you're saved. You know you're whole. Like, you know how to get to the one that can do that for other people. And that's got to be the mission. That's got to be the assignment. In some ways, these four guys, to me, they represent what the church needs to look like. Oh, I, I don't know. I can't help the guy anymore. I don't, I've done, I don't know. I'm, I'm here for him. I love him. But you know what? You know what? The best thing I can do for this guy is sacrifice whatever I got going on today because there's a moment today. There's a moment. God will show you. Those who are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, I believe with all my heart, God will present and he will show you divine moments that he is arranging. See, don't forget this. People right now, praying and crying, right now, in this moment, right now, somewhere, in a room, street, somewhere, crying, praying, perhaps to God they don't even really know. Help, help. Meanwhile, God is speaking to someone like you and me about being part of a solution. We got we to gotta do that. Amen? And you see, that's, that's, this is the beauty of it. And I, I'll close with this. When we say, my life, the highest aim of my life and trajectory of my, my mission, my assignment, is to lead people to Jesus. And you, you know what? You could do that a lot of different ways in your own context. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing in your work, in your family, in your, wherever you're at, I promise you, there's a way you can do that. 
that's, that's unique to you. And that's great. When we decide, that's, that's my agenda, man, we align our will directly with the will of the Father. This is the will of God is that none would perish. All would come to repentance. And when our mission gets aligned with God's mission, there is a release of power from the kingdom of heaven right into our lives. It's like God says, oh, I'll assist with that. <laughs> oh, I will advance that. Now, you want to do your own mission? You want to do your, your man, you know, mission of man and your own agenda? Go ahead. You know, if you think you can do that on your own, go ahead. You're going to be about my mission? Oh, man. <laughs> Look out. Here you go. You think you're not qualified? Oh, you're qualified because I, I say you're qualified. That's our heart. And then God begins to lead us through it. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Hallelujah. And I just want to ask you if you're here today and uh, I just, I feel, okay, I feel the Lord maybe leading us to do this. If you're here today and you feel like maybe you relate more with the paralytic, like you came in and you got brokenness, you got some stuff that you feel like, man, just been holding you back. It's like in between you and Jesus, you know? It's got you stuck in life. I don't know what it is, emotional, mental, addiction, substance abuse, relational. I mean, we all know, we all got them, you know? Stuff, right? We've dealt with it before, know people that are. I don't think you're the only one. But if, if you're here today, you say, I think I relate actually more with the paralytic in the story. I feel like the Lord is saying, hey, wake up. The master is here. You want to go out on your bed or you want to carry your bed? If you say, I, I, that is me. I don't need to know what it is. It's only necessary for you to, to just declare that to God. But if that's you, I want to pray today for you to have these things broken, to have this stuff healed by the master, restored. If you're ready to receive the command and hear the words, now pick up your bed and arise and go out of here and do something with that. You know, I think if that guy would have got healed and he would have went back, talking about the man at the pool of Bethesda, he would have went back to whatever sin he was in. He would have just got sick again. That's a problem. <laughs> Repetitive. That's not good. That's not what Jesus, you know, trying to get him to see the bigger picture. So what I'm saying is, you're here today, you say, I relate to the paralytic for sure. God's got my number today. I know that. I believe with all my heart that he's here to break that, that he's here to bring healing. If you're ready to carry your bed out and, and, and change things, whatever it is that you might go through, you say, Pastor, I need that prayer. I feel like I want to pray. I just I kind of want to lay my hands on you today and pray over you and believe for God to break that. And so if you say, I need that, would you just come down here to the front right now? You could stand up and you can walk straight down here while everyone is here. 
Hallelujah. Bold confession of your faith. Praise God for my brother here in more ways than one. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's just if God's drawing your heart, saying, yeah, this is you. I want to do this. This is going to be quick and swift. I'm just going to pray for you. God's going to break this thing. Listen, this freedom and healing is quick. It's instantaneous. Jesus is not delayed. He doesn't need time to do that. The walking it out part, that that can take time. There is restoration that might still be needed in other things. But the, the healing is swift, you know. The work of God is quick and immediate. And so I'm just going to pray for you. Um, there's an usher behind you. Let God do whatever he does. And if the rest of us here could just be in agreement, like it'd be great to have a, an environment of faith here surrounding these wonderful people. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray. Lord, you know this thing. Lord, only you Something know. In Jesus' name, I pray. Now, that there be healing. Mine. Motion, God, hallelujah. His thoughts become crisp Something and sharp. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, do a healing and restorative work. His mind and his emotions right get deep to the root and to the heart. 